Hello and welcome to Confappy Break on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, and I'm joined today by Carter Laren. Howdy. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Oh, today All is right. uh, we're, Monday. We're, we're, we're slightly late because of me. I was just like oblivious working on my computer and I looked up and saw the time and went, <gasps> Carter, so, we're not really late. late. It's only we are late. four minutes after. <laughs> uh, welcome. Okay. If it's your first time joining us, this is a live show we do Mondays and Fridays. Today is Monday, November 29th, and you can find us online at unsafespace.com. If you would like to join our book club, we do a monthly book club, and we usually alternate between fiction and nonfiction. This month, we're doing nonfiction. I finally have the book in front of me. My husband took it for a while. He started reading it and got so into it already. Uh, it's Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. This is a book that has been recommended for our book club by many people. And I know a lot of people like me have been wanting to read some Soul. And this is your chance to read it with people with a deadline. That's what book club is good for. It gives you a deadline. So we're discussing it December 19th. And you can be a part of it. It's free to join and participate here. Uh, you can find out info at unsafespace.com on the book club page, how to join. You basically just send us an email at speak at unsafespace.com. And you can be on camera or in the live chat on YouTube. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have you started this book yet? No. So no. at the beginning, it's like I'm learn I'm reading about my people. It's all about like cracker culture <laughs> and which came over. He's like tracing it back to Scotland and Ireland during the uh, 1800s and, or the 1700s and a specific time of immigration from those areas and the outskirts of Britain and a specific culture that came over with those particular white people at that particular time. It's okay. pretty interesting. I was like, you know, it was funny. My husband and I were reading it. He, he, we've been trading the book back and forth. And he's like reading about the cracker people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I like Time of Soul a lot, but I haven't started. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. Wait, did you mention You'll... the next book? Did you mention the... Crime and Punishment? No, you go ahead and mention that one. I don't have the date written down. The reason I want to mention it now is because sometimes people want to get head starts on books. Yes. And Crime and Punishment is the kind of book you might want to head start on. Um, so that's the next one, and it's January 30th. So we're giving you a long time for that one. But uh, if you feel like doing book club for that one, start soon. <sighs> I Can I say something positive right off the gate before we talk about the news and real things? <laughs> yes, please. It's a real thing. I, this weekend, I got to go to my husband was playing at Christmas in Comfort, which is a Christmas parade and festival. And it's a small town in Texas. Some of our viewers know it. I've, I've had them. There's a knitting shop there that a lot of people know. And <laughs> anyway, we were at Christmas in Comfort. Of course there is. And it's just so beautiful. I just love seeing that, kind of, you know, everybody sort of united around a common mood and, and uh, being jovial and having this sort of excitement about a particular time of year and there's vendors there and there's a parade and it was just it was just really lovely 
But I did see this. So that has to wanna... end because it sounds joyful. <laughs> right. I posted about it and somebody on Twitter said, uh, call me a white supremacist. Because <laughs> you were like, yay, this is fun. White supremacist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I think they probably, because it's Texas and it's still a part of Texas that's still Texas. And somebody said, don't tell the Californians about it. But I sent you some pictures. There's three pictures. You want to put these up? This really captures the spirit of Christmas and comfort. There's a, there was one booth called Knives and Vibes. <laughs> And they sold knives and handbags. And then there were a lot of vendors that had these Let's Go Brandon, like really fancy wood carved Let's Go Brandon signs, which come on, it's just a, just have a sense of humor. Somebody got upset that I shared that. I was like, give me a break. It's just a joke. Like it's making fun of the media more than anything. It's making fun of the media and the way that they lie and try to deceive us. Yeah. Um and then the the third one during the parade, there were lots of it was like small town parade, but this one cracked me up. It was a, a local plumber side for all your for all your plumbing needs. It's an inflatable toilet that's illuminated. It's a huge toilet float. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I think of when I think of Christmas generally, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was Christmas and comfort. Well, we can start. I it's it's uh, official now, right? We can start to we can go get trees and start to do yeah Christmassy things. This yeah. hat, I've been wearing a lot of my Christmas hats. Thank you to the knitters. This one in particular, I wear a lot because it's got the ear flaps. This was made by Heather296. Thank you, Heather. I love it. And yeah, you can bring out bring out all your holiday stuff. I just, I really like this time of year. So, I Well, fortunately for fun. me, my porch lights were not taken down from last year. So I just have to turn them on. And right. we're <laughs> Look at that. That's what you get for being lazy. And, like. Right around July, I was like, you know what? It's just a lost cause right now. I'm like, I might as well leave them. Just leave them <laughs> up. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah. you also celebrate Capitalism Day? Do you decorate for that? Yeah. So we we call it Capitalism Day. But, uh, I mean, it, it looks pretty indistinguishable from Christmas from the outside. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we don't we don't put, like... I, I guess you would notice that, like, we don't have Santa Claus stuff and, you know, mangers and that kind of thing. But we have, you know, trees and lights and all that kind of stuff. And um, I guess internally inside the house, we do have a couple decorations that are dollar sign themed. <laughs> so I guess that's part of it. But And my daughter made up a whole story a while ago about uh, the robber baron who comes and gives you presents. <laughs> but he doesn't give you presents. He... You have to put a dollar in your stocking because you have to buy the presents from the robber baron because it's capital. Oh, <laughs> and my. he lives on Mars. I forgot that part. He lives on no wait, Saturn. Sorry, he lives on Saturn. I got the planets wrong. She would kill me for that. Yeah, you know, I used to be back when I was a agnostic, social justice fanatic. I I had a lot of negative attitudes, just sort of knee jerk attitudes towards Christians, and when I would hear them talk about the war on Christmas, I would be like, whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, I would purposefully buy holiday cards that either didn't mention anything about Christ or, or made fun of Christ. And I would send those to my Christian relatives. That's what a mm -hmm. jerk I was. I, mean, I was participating in a war on Christmas while saying that it exists. But, <laughs> but now, now I definitely, I think some of that is hyperbole, but I do think there's a war on Christianity. However, 
I wonder if the people who are waging that war and the culture war, I wonder if they would be more upset by your holiday than, I think they're probably more upset by a capitalism day than by a- Well, by yeah, I, I think the, the, the war is on the West and the war is on Christianity to the extent that Christianity is representative of the West to them. They wouldn't be upset at the woke Christians, right? Um, right. They're okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. My my buddy's in chat, by the way, and said gingerbread skyscrapers. So he remembers. I've known him for, I don't know, 20 years. We used to also have a tradition where we started making, because um, this, I started Capitalism Day right the year before 9-11. It's like in 2000, right before 9-11. Mm. Um, so the first year we just celebrated. But then the second year, um, it, the towers had just been destroyed. So we decided to make gingerbread skyscrapers um, to celebrate. And so we, they got elaborate. We did this for years. We got, we did made gingerbread skyscrapers and I stopped doing it because it's so time consuming, so full of sugar. Uh, it's, it's just like a, lot of a really, really time consuming, intricate thing that eventually just, but they were like, some of them were really tall. They were like, like three feet tall and had, uh, like candy, candy, um, like stained glass. And stuff in them. We made one that was the Arc de Capitalism one day, which was the Arc de Triumph, which was like, but it was the Arc. We we they did a lot of stuff for a while, but um, yeah, I <laughs> grew out of that. I guess it's just a lot. It's you a should lot have the you should have the toilet float in your capitalism day parade. <laughs> yeah, that's not really what we're going for. I mean, but feel free to have it in comfort. That's cool for you. It's celebrating <laughs> industry. <laughs> yeah but all yeah i'm not even gonna yeah i'm not gonna bring up what we talked about on monday on monday or sorry it's friday uh oh no that's not good yeah either. just not a thing i want to yeah you know talk about um keith keith the hack guy gives us a super chat and says practicing what i learned on dangerous thoughts carries war on christmas as her celebration of christmas is a stolen premise fallacy okay i've got to think about this her war on christmas as a celebration of Christmas. Oh, kind of. Yes. Right. It is. It is kind of a stolen premise fallacy, right? It's like, we're not having a war on this. Like I'm having a war on this thing um, to celebrate the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it is kind of like a stolen. Yeah. I uh, would and, and fallacy. Think, think about the animosity and the resentment behind something like that, that a lot of social justice warriors have that mindset. They, it came from a place of moral, a false moral superiority and arrogance and a belief that I, uh, uh, at least, at least a delusion that I was somehow doing good by expanding my idiot Christian relatives worldview by refusing to send them a Christmas card that was rooted in Christianity by sending them one that either just said happy holidays and had animals on it or had nothing to do with Christmas, right? Or or even openly mocked Christians. Um, right. There was one I sent out one year that had, it was a picture, it was a manger scene. It was a Christian manger scene and baby Jesus was saying, dump Bush. So it was making, it was political too. It was like a dump Bush thing. It, it, you know, like, so it, it was an, it was an, underneath the the delusion a lot of times they i think they they convince themselves that they're doing something good remember we've talked about that's like the end goal the meat the the ends justify the means and the end goal here is just and i'm trying to educate my bigoted 
family members, right? That's what they think. But underneath it, it's this deep resentment. It's, it's amazing how much traction such a uh, bitter and resentful ideology can gain. And I think it's probably only possible if there's a, just a lot of malaise generally in the population psychologically that, that like, I, I don't know how a joyful person could, like a, a happy, joyful yeah. person could react to that. Could and do be like, that. You, you look interesting. That's an interesting argument you're making. Yeah. about w. Bush. <laughs> like, hmm, What about your philosophy? <laughs> like it's, right. You have to kind of be miserable to even consider yeah. what they're saying at all. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's, it's so, um, it's just, it's just, I don't know, on this side of it, looking back at it, it's obvious how I, it wasn't rooted on a belief in anything that I had no foundation that there was a lot of, I, although I wanted to believe that some of this stuff was fueled by good intent underneath, there was a resentment and there was a desire to insult. Right. And, but when you're in it, you can't see that a lot of times. I, I truly believe a lot of people believe their own delusions. They spend their own delusions about it. Like, and, and, but deep down they'll have this discontent, this feeling of unease because you know, part of you knows that you're living a lie, that your beliefs are not good part of you. Yeah. Or that you just that yeah. your motivation is bad, right? There's a difference between be, I mean, I'll say this as an atheist, right? There's a difference between being an atheist who's like, I don't think religion is helpful and I'm going to, you know, with kindness, if people ask about it and whatever, be like, well, look, you know, this is what I think and this is why. And I don't think it's helpful for these reasons. And you could be, right. you know, this, this would be better for you if you didn't. And here's, here's how, right. That's a fine perspective, but there's a difference between that and because I think you're wrong about this, I want you to feel suffering. Like, I want to hurt you. Um, yeah. Like, I don't, a lot of, maybe some Christians do this, but I don't know a lot of Christians who do this. Christians don't go around saying like, oh, you're an atheist. Um, and then like, it I'm going to therefore mock you and make you feel stupid and trying to like hurt you as much as I can. Most of the, most of the decent people, Christians that I know are like, Oh, you're an atheist. You know, I think you're wrong. And if you want to talk about Jesus, come on over for tea. Right. Like it's a different, it's like a different attitude. It's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not upset that you don't agree with me. I'm, I might have compassion for you that you don't agree with me because I think I'm mm -hmm. right. And both sides can say that, but um, there's a difference between that and like, I, I want to mock, I like, I want right. to feel bad for your feeling. Like, I want you to feel bad about it. Right. There definitely are Chris, people who claim to be Christian who are also animated by resentment and all that. I know that. I just don't know. A, I've seen that before. I just don't know a lot of those people personally, right. but I've seen it online, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Greg the Baritone says the latter is an atheist evangelist. I used to call myself an evangelical atheist, Greg, back in the day. And I did spend a lot more time. I don't think I was as... Like, I didn't do what Carrie's talking. I didn't, like, <laughs> send holiday cards like that. But I did, I did like, provoke arguments intentionally with Christians so that I could argue about it. Um, and, you know, the only time I really argue about it now is if I'm talking about philosophy generally. I don't, like, pull someone aside and be like, I don't like this thing about your beliefs. Um, that's not a thing to do if you're happy. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> like, I don't 
Yeah. Um. Anyway, that was an interesting little side note. Yeah. I know uh, let's a read lot. the super chat from Swiftner that just came yeah. in. Um, because uh, we can that that way we can kind of be caught up and and move yeah. on. Then Swiftner says, um, "I wonder what an only Feds page looks like." I don't specifically celebrate holidays anymore and was taken aback <laughs> when a free country citizen asked me what my traditions are. The simple answer is tragedy. Tragedy mm-hmm. is your traditions? I'm not, I'm missing this, Swiftner. I'm sorry. Um, uh, I don't specifically I was taken aback when a free country citizen asked what my traditions are. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure either. Maybe Swift. Maybe, maybe his personal maybe, tragedy is why he doesn't celebrate. Is that right? Or maybe, maybe he's trying to say that outside of free countries, tragedy becomes tradition. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I don't know. Thank he, you for the super chat. I, if you want to clarify, we'll try and read your clarification. Um. So, Carrie, I see that you're not taking Omicron seriously. <laughs> how, how do you know? Because I'm not sitting here. Well, alone you're not with masked up. Four masks uh, on. Yes, I'm. I... I'm disappointed because although there have been really sp- a sparse number of cases and almost nothing going on, New York has already declared a state of emergency preemptively. Okay. It's a preemptive state of emergency because they know what's going to happen and they need authoritarian control now to prevent the thing that will definitely 100% sure trust the science will happen. I think, here's my gut. I think more people this time, okay, I never complied with the mask mandates when our governor put them, put, put, you know, Texas briefly had a mask mandate. And if he, if he ever does it again, I'm not going to comply again. But I, I think my gut tells me there's going to be more people actively not complying this time. I think public consensus is the tide is turning. And I think most people don't care about Omicron. Am I wrong? (laughs) I think so. I think people are just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, It's one of these, like, I know we've been saying this for a while, but we've been like, look, they're never going to let it end. They're going to keep going. And people are like, no, no, two weeks to flatten the curve, two months to flatten the curve, two years to flatten the curve, 15 jobs to flatten the curve. There'll be a flatten of the curve. Eventually it'll let up. And I think people are kind of now going, oh, they're never going to stop. This is forever. Yes. This is the forever variant. That's what this is. It's never, ever, ever, ever going to stop. Ever. I saw uh, Robert Malone, who, of course, invented the mRNA vaccine te- technology and has been summarily described as, uh, I don't know, they've called him all kinds of names. They've banned him. Banned. Yeah. They've banned discussion of him. They've banned articles he shares. But I did see he said um, something to the effect of like who could have predicted this that because because a lot of a lot of the scientists who were being banned and censored they were predicting that perhaps mass adoption of a leaky vaccine leaky meaning it it doesn't actually prevent transmission infection or transmission of a virus so it's a leaky vaccine you can still catch it and spread it that mass adoption of such a vaccine might lead to more variants uh, more variants that are immune resistant okay so now we're seeing that they're saying hey there's more variants that are immune resistant <laughs> well um i don't know maybe maybe let maybe don't censor scientists who have a different opinion than <laughs> fauci 
Maybe also maybe especially let, the ones who invented the mRNA vaccine. Maybe let them speak. Right. Right. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them or take everything. There's scientists. There's again, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but science is not a religion. There's there's no it's there's no dogma. There's no like this is the Pope. You must listen to him. There's no the science uh, is a religion, though. Yeah, the <laughs> science is a religion. But science yeah. asks questions. Science does not support censorship. It doesn't coexist with censorship. Like no, in fact, censorship is how you destroy actual science. Yes. Um. So, yeah, you've got to be asked. You've got to be able to ask questions, even dumb questions, and you've got to be yeah. able to talk about theories, even wrong theories. You have to be able to have the discussions. You have to. Um, it's not. It's not science to to do this. Um, yeah. I mean, I've. I'm not. Obviously, I'm not a scientist. I don't. I don't understand the the virus, and and vaccine stuff as as much as anyone, especially uh, Dr. Malone. But there is this weird. I I think. I think the way it works is if you. If you're if you get natural immunity your body's producing more of a bouquet of antigens, right? It's like, oh, I'm responding to this thing. Like your your immuno response, I would imagine, is tailored uh, to the entire thing, right? Like, oh, this, I'm, I'm having a response generally to this. Whereas if you have a single antigen um, response vaccine that's getting your body to uh, trigger off of a single antigen, um, spike protein or whatever, I imagine your response is not as, it seems like it wouldn't be as robust. Now, someone can correct me. I'm not saying that's definitely true, but I look at that and I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And when then, when doctors who know more than I do say things like, well, yeah, we would expect more variants now and more adaptation of the virus because of this. It's like, oh, well, that, yeah. that kind of all makes sense. I mean, yeah. maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like we should have a discussion about that and lay people can understand why they're wrong if that's not true, instead of just banning all yeah. the discussion of it, right? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I saw, I saw, just speaking of COVID and everything, I saw a Peterson, someone tagged me in a clip, Peterson, Jordan Peterson doing an interview with someone, and it was just a very short clip where he was talking about the um, he wasn't talking about the new variant. He he was talking about the authoritarian measures that governments have taken to force the vax. So he's talking about vax mandates and the coercion that's happening. And the person who tagged me in it didn't like the clip, and a few of the people responded didn't like it because they did, they don't like his premise. His he's starting from a place of believing that the vaccine that the re, that the government is pushing the vaccine out of good intent. And that the vaccine actually, okay, so. Well, I can see why people wouldn't like that. <laughs> right. However, he's just a Sometimes human. smart people. I know. He's, he's just human I, like I anyone. Like yeah, yeah. And yeah. and the other thing is that I actually, he was still, okay, as a person who who is uh, starting from a premise that the, that the vaccine is about our health and about safety, he was still arguing against the authoritarian uh, mandates. And he was making a very good point, right. which was. If, if we really do believe the vaccine is going to help and is going to help prevent spread of the virus, then why are we making it mandatory? That's going to have the opposite effect because people who think that the government has bad intent 
is they're going to look at the authoritarianism and say, why are you forcing this? Why are you mandating this? He said, what, what we should do is, he said, Canada should open up everything, radically open everything and say, look, that we've made the vaccine available. If you want it, it's available to everyone. It's easy to get. It's up to you to take that responsibility into your hands if you want it. But we're opening everything up because we do believe in it. And he's right. That's what they should be doing. And he's right that that people like myself who think the government doesn't have good intent with this vaccine. Well, yeah, it's sort of confirmed those that belief of mine that like, yeah, there's something fishy going on here. The fact that they're mandating it and they're, they're pushing authoritarianism. Yeah, so- I, w- I would say in order for me to get comfortable with the intent of the vaccine, the not two things would have to happen. One is it would have to not be mandated. And two, open discussion would have to, would have, to have open discussion. What yeah. I'd have to see major news outlets have Robert Malone on. I would have to see people like having real conversations about it. And if if the people that the mainstream media says are pseudoscientific fake news spreaders, if they lose those debates in front of me with other people who are yeah. on the mainstream media side, fine. Let them lose. They will lose credibility. But as of now the entire media has lost credibility. Yes. Not that it had a lot to start with. And the the mainstream medical profession has lost credibility because they're not allowing these conversations. So I, this is, and, I mean, if you think about the ripple effects of a distrust of the medical community could have on health overall for a population, it's pretty devastating. It goes yes. well beyond COVID. And actually, and in this clip, that's what Peterson and this other guy were talking about was that this has led to a growing distrust of government, media, the medical establishment, and that it's only going to get worse. There's going to be less and less trust. Now, I happen to believe that mistrust is is well founded. It's appropriate. appropriate. (laughs) But if you think it's not appropriate, then then you should still come to the same conclusion as someone who doesn't trust the government on this and someone who does, which is that authoritarianism isn't going to lead to more trust. It's not going to lead to more trust. And and right. need to have transparency and to and to support individualism and individual rights and freedom. Right. And and the only so, reason you wouldn't is if you're afraid people will come to a different conclusion. And that is a that is an indication of how unsure you are about the so-called truth right. and the science. That's all that right. is. So I happen to like that clip because I think I could send a clip like that to friends of mine who do trust the government they're more likely to hear arguments against authoritarian measures from someone who shares their premise that the government is pushing the vax out of actually actual good intent. It is a funny premise, but okay. Yeah. But they're, they're not going to listen to me because they know I now believe the government has bad intent. So we don't even have the same premise. It's like, who cares what you think about authoritarianism, Carrie? You don't even trust the government. Like, yeah, don't. (laughs) (laughs) First not. Did you see uh, Claire Lehman from Colette? The other day made she had some she said this this is her quote oh i tagged you in it maybe was it the one where we like the difference between australians and americans is like we we trust our government or something something that i'm paraphrasing oh yeah yeah and and like i i dawned on me i mean i saw it secondhand because james Lindsay was mocking her with the quote but she said that like that was her quote and i thought to myself she she said this proudly like Trusting their government is a good thing. Like, oh, 
we do this good thing. We trust the government. Those stupid Americans don't trust. We're better because we trust our government or our government's better or whatever. It It's the most – it's just such an odd thing to hear anyone say, and it's so far removed from – the I'll say I'll just use this metaphorically. It's so far removed from the American spirit mm-hmm. that it really reconfirmed my notion that if the West is going to be saved, it's going to be saved by Americans in America. Like it's the only place. It's the only place where there's still a critical mass of people who are like, yeah, we don't trust the government. That's <laughs> like, yeah, that's one of the fundamentals about forming society that's, we don't that's trust also, the government. it's a fundamental lesson of history yes you should not trust your government well but a lot of people <laughs> do and they think they should right um and and i think that is one of the things i mean just looking at history it's one of the things that makes american history unique is that the in there's probably nothing more distrustful. There's probably no f- set of founding documents more distrustful of government than the founding documents of the United States. I mean, the Declaration of, yeah. of Independence is particularly distrustful of government. And so I that's what makes America different. It's that we yeah. distrust government. Like that's what makes us better. I'm not like genetically or culturally superior in that way, but like philosophically better. That's what that's what's better about the culture. We don't trust the government. Yeah. Um, and that's being – for someone to think that pointing that out and saying that they do trust the government is a point in their favor is just such a – it's just, it's bizarre world. And yet I think a lot of people live in that bizarre world. I mean yeah. Claire Lehman is not a wokey leftist, right? She is not right. a crazy wokey leftist. She is – the what's she the editor or founder of Colette or whatever like yeah. she was viewed as an anti woke hero for a while like she's not one of those people but and but she comes at this with this what a distorted view what a, just, what an incredibly distorted view that she thinks is normal and she's probably right that probably is normal at least in Australia that everybody trusts the government yeah it's mm-hmm. so weird it's so wide eyed and I, I don't know she also I think the one I tagged you in was where she was she was also in a positive way putting forth the idea that you should be a pragmatist. And I knew you had some thoughts on that. No, so I, yeah. Oh, I always yeah. have thoughts on pragmatism. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'll say it again. I, I, I tweeted about it this morning, even. Uh, I will not say that pragmatism is the fundamental ev- enemy from a philosophical sense, because obviously there are, explicitly vile philosophies out there but pragmatism is the proximal enemy it is the front lines of evil and the reason for it is (laughs) pragmatists are people who don't they're cowards who have no confidence in their in the veracity of their own convictions right they 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 think things, but they don't want to be judgy. I don't know. I don't want to say it's true. I don't want to stand up for anything. I'm not sure there's a conflict here, so I guess we should compromise. Like, that's what a pragmatist does. And that compromise is with evil. Like, they they when you don't have principles, good philosophies don't benefit from you not having principles. Yeah. Bad ones do. It, took me, a, it like, took me a while to understand your point of view on this, but I 
deeply understand it now. <laughs> I'm in a place where I'm completely like, yeah, I don't, I just in practice, just in everyday life, I've seen how like, no, I don't, without even realizing what I was doing, yeah. but I, I naturally in the past couple of years, I'm like, no, I don't want to compromise with that point of view. That's right. a bad point of view. Right. Yeah. And pragmatism you know, is based on this assumption philosophically, which is a false assumption. Um, if you have principle, I won't even say, I'll, I'll just use the word principles. If you have principles, if you're worried about living in reality and you have moral principles that you think apply to life here in reality and you're living by those principles, then there's no conflict between the principles and reality. The only time there's a conflict between your principles and reality is if your principles aren't actually real, if they're not rooted in reality, if they're based on something false, then you run into this it works on paper, but not in real life crap. That's That only is true if the premises on your paper aren't tied to reality. If you have a fiction on paper, then it works there, but not in reality. If, you're, if you don't have a fiction on paper, if you start with reality and you build premises from reality, then there's not a fucking conflict between what's practical and what's right. Those are not in conflict unless your philosophy sucks, then they're in conflict. And so, like, that's the problem. People are, like, they, they are so convinced that there's good and practical, and those are two different things, that it's just, it's, it's created a wedge that bad philosophy has just driven a Mack truck right through and been like, hey, how about some authoritarianism? It's like, well, practically, we kind of need a little bit of it because it's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. you guys are dead. It's why one of my favorite Rand quotes is something to the effect of, in any compromise between food and poison, only death can win. That's a great quote. Hey, I have to take a quick break. I've got some extra dogs here and they're making noise. I just need to right, quiet them. Fine. People want me to calm down. I'm not going to calm down. I got to calm my teats. They're Calm your teeth. Wrong thinker. <laughs> no, it's important. It's important. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned this on, I mentioned this on a dangerous thoughts show the other day. But uh, when you, when you understand, when you hold abstract ideas as tied to concretes, instead of just vague concepts that you're not really sure how to define or what they are, when you hold abstract ideas as tied to concretes. Um, violation or or I'll say not violation of those ideas, but like counter bad ideas, we'll say bad ideas upset you quite a lot because um, you see their consequences. You see the concrete consequences that are subsumed by them. Right. And the example I used the other day was like, you know, there's lots of people who if you if you show them Audrey Hepburn uh, with a starving kid from Africa and saying for the price of a cup of coffee a day or whatever, you can help this kid like they're you know, they they're understandably they they uh they have em empathy for that situation like i have to help look at that kid it's horrible to see that kid right and and that's fine but for people who understand that philosophic concepts aren't just armchair things but relate to reality they have that empathy multiplied by a hundred million when you say communism is a good idea because all they see in their head is like oh I see a hundred million starving, horrible thing, like hundred million people starving and horrible stuff happening. Like when you say communism, I see death, mass death, 
mass, mass, horrible, horrible death. I look through history and I see the Hall de Moore. I see Mao starving people. I see the Khmer Rouge starving people. I see like I see the gulags. I see all of this. And so it's hard to just be like, well, don't have any passion. When I know that communists, like, don't get so upset about the communists. Why not? They're killing people. They killed over 100 million people last century. If you have ideas, if you understand the power of ideas and that ideas matter, you ought to be upset by bad ideas because they are more upsetting than a single concrete instance of someone suffering. Speaking of, when you said that, when I see communism, I see death. It sounds like a one of those cheers, like, when I say this, you say that. Death, communism, death. death. Communism, death. death. <laughs> Maybe but, that's what I need to do. Uh, we're being, we're using too many words, and we just need to go stand outside uh, universities, and I'll yell communism, and you yell death, and death. we'll see if that works. Communism, death. <laughs> uh, speaking of, I don't know if you saw this, but on Wikipedia, if you if you open oh, your yes, browser and go there right now, definitely go go to go to open it up. Go to Wikipedia uh, and look for mass murders or mass death under communism, mass killings under communist regimes. This article is being considered for deletion. Yeah, in accordance with Wikipedia's deletion policy. So they are they are now on Wikipedia, which we've talked about before. SJWs love Wikipedia. I used to edit things there all the time. They love it because they get to edit it like in 1984. They're they're editing history. They're editing what's recorded as truth. And they have now gotten enough votes on Wikipedia to completely delete the entire section on mass killings under communist regimes in history. There you go, Beverly. You found it. It's there, the first look at the red spot at the top, Beverly. Zoom in on the red the red line at the top. Yeah. This article is being considered for deletion in accordance with Wikipedia's deletion policy. The neutrality of this article is disputed. <laughs> they have enough wokies on there saying that we, this all needs to be deleted. And scroll down. I mean, this is a really well-researched section. They have it oh, yeah. divided up in history by you can click on like the Soviet Union. You can see the history of mass killings in the Soviet Union. I mean, this is a there's been a lot Cambodia. of years, yep. a lot of years put into uh, detailing all of this on Wikipedia and they're trying to delete all of it. Yeah, because it's devastating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's absolutely devastating. And of course, um, I think there's probably a corresponding page about deaths from not, uh, you know, deaths by anti-communists or whatever. There is. And like, that's not going to go away. Um, there is. There is, by the way, if you're interested, Amazon is still selling this. Uh, the Black Book of Communism. It's a decent book. Uh, subtitle is Crimes, Terror, Repression. So probably not very uh, complimentary to communism. There's a, there's, if you're interested in some of the things communism, but people have received their PhDs on this stuff, right? I mean, like, and I don't mean just they receive their PhDs. I mean, like, people have done, like, devoted lots of research to exactly how many people were starved by in the Haldemar by Stalin, um, exactly what was going on in China, uh, and how many people were killed, and how many people were starved, and how many people were killed in by the Khmer Rouge, and like, the big people, there's there's a lot of research on this. This isn't, this isn't just like some rightist talking points. Yeah. This is all well-researched. Um, they, um, I, I want to read 
a couple of the super. Did you read some while I was taking care of the dogs? Uh, I didn't. The last thing I read was the one from uh, Swiftner that we were confused by. Oh, okay. So I want to read this one from B. Thank you, B. She gave us $10. She said, I have theorized that so many of the SJW types learned it from their zealot, extreme Christian parents, as so many of us come from that background. I know I did. And I emulated that when I was an SJW. Yes, I agree with you. I do think that might be the case for some. It because you know that that um for every, that law about how for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think about it that way and I definitely I came from I would say more of a fundamentalist southern baptist culture. Uh it wasn't so much my parents, it was just the culture I was in, the church that we went to. And some of what I saw um, in, in mainstream culture about, about Southern Baptist ideas. And, and I, I became, I, I sort of reacted. I sort of went in the opposite extreme, you know, from that. And, and I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think a lot of people emulate or even, even evangelical atheists in some ways, that's a, mm-hmm. that's an overcorrection for even evangelical. Well, that's Christianity, what that was me, right. I was in a right. fundamentalist evangelical Christian. And when, when I first became an atheist, I, overcorrected and was like, boom, I'm now on the other side doing the same thing. And it took me a little while to settle down. Yeah. Um, same, same here. So thank you, B. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do Colin P's? We might as well go through some super chats while we're here. So yeah, you go ahead. The dogs are being noisy. I'm just going to mute myself. All right. Uh, Colin P says, can you think of a substantive, uh, substantive difference between a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist and an investigative reporter? I've been trying, but I can't. Um, well, I mean, I don't like the term conspiracy theorist because it's been used, it's been politicized. Well, it started out politicized because I think the CIA invented it. Um, but I would like the way I view it is I would say someone's a, I would use the conspiracy theorist in a negative way. If someone is, um, making wild jumping to wild conclusions without supporting evidence, whereas an investigative reporter might say, here's some evidence. These are some things that it could be. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Like I I imagine that the investigative reporter doesn't necessarily need to piece together a narrative with as many gaps as a conspiracy theorist might. Um, I think a conspiracy theorist and an investigative reporter could cover the same thing, but it would be maybe in how it's presented. So instead of saying, for example, a conspiracy theory might be, let's just do the 9-11 one because that's a common one, right? Uh, such and such group, I don't even know what all of them are. Such and such group was responsible for this. It was a controlled demolition, blah, 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 blah. And this group here was responsible. And this is what, it's a big cover up and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's more of a conspiracy theory. An investigative reporter might use all the same facts and say, something's wrong here. I'm not sure. Here's here's some things that might fit the facts. There could be other things that fit the facts, but here are the facts that don't fit the mainstream narrative. So the mainstream narrative is wrong. Something's wrong with it. Here are the facts. Here's the 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 evidence that I have to suggest that something's really wrong. There are potentially other narratives that fit this, but we don't really know. And that's how I would view the difference. I don't, what about you, Carrie? Yes, I I, I would view. Uh, there's a word I'm looking for. Read a super chat, and I'll find it. And then okay. I'll answer this question. Uh, Swiftner's going to, he's going to uh, correct himself, I think, or, or clarify. He says, Carter K. 
Kara, you both touched on it. I remember a few holiday seasons not touched by horror or tragedy in my life, and lockdowns greatly amplified the last two years wow. in oppressed territory, but I survived. I'm sorry wow. to hear that, brother. That sucks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have... There's Well, there is such a thing as, like, holiday blues, right? There's depression in the holidays for a lot of people. Um, and I think if you're from a dysfunctional environment or if you have... Um, if you if you grew up in some sort of uh, well, just uh, not so, super dysfunctional, but some household with issues, often because the the holidays are times when families get together, those issues would um, surface during the holidays, and so you can end up with some bad memories, right? Whereas maybe the rest of the year, family members aren't even together, and then they come together at the holidays, and that's when uh, that's when a lot of drama can happen and, and yes. leave impressions. So in my experience, holidays put a lot of pressure on individuals who are maybe not psychologically well um, to have like the perfect, the perfect family get together. And then because of that pressure that they, they just explode, they're like pressure cookers of the holidays <laughs> because right. <laughs> it's like, I want this thing to be perfect. Everyone's ruined it. You know, um, here's the word I was looking for in answer to that question about the difference between an investigative journalist and a conspiracy theorist. And I would, I would agree with what, what I heard you saying, Carter, I think the, the conspiracy theorist connects things that may not necessarily be connected. So the word I was looking for, I just learned right. this word apophenia. Do you know this word? Mm -mm. It's the tendency to perceive a connection or meaningful pattern between unrelated or random things, hmm. such as objects or ideas. And I read it actually in an article from oh, Dog. Shh. <laughs> I read it. I read it in an article. Uh, this person who was talking about QAnon, and mm -hmm. and it was a game developer. Oh, that's a good one a game developer wrote this article kind of criticizing QAnon and describing what they thought QAnon was from a game. It's called a, a game designer's analysis of QAnon. And the person gave this example when they said, you know, one time I, I created a, an experience fiction, one of these XE games where you're playing a game in real life. And he mm -hmm. said, this crazy thing happened where the players were in this room and I had hidden a clue there that was really easy to find to get to the next step of the game. This is like one of those uh, room like escape, escape games, room or whatever. Like yep. escape mm -hmm. room or whatever. And instead of finding my easy clue, or they thought that was just too obvious, there happened to be three random pieces of wood on the floor because it, it was in a basement. And they thought that, and it did, it looked like the wood, the three pieces were arranged in an arrow and they thought it was pointing to a wall. And it was like, that was just random. Those wood chips were not placed there on purpose but they thought the wood chips look like an arrow. There's no way that's by chance. It's pointing to the wall. So they were full on, the whole group had convinced themselves that there was something hidden behind the wall and they needed to break down the wall. <laughs> and, the game, and the game developer was like in the room, like, no, like trying to get them to go back to the very obvious clue. And, and so it, they were trying to sort of talking about how, you know, whoever was writing QAnon, and I think there were two people writing it. Um, one person and then another person started writing it. At a certain point, it changed. The writer changed, in my opinion. Um, I think that whoever was writing it, and I agree with this person in this article, that they were sort of just throwing out things and letting your mind do engage in apophenia, letting you engage in apophenia and say, 
like, look at this thing, look at this thing, look at this thing and letting you connect the dots. Because there's also psychologically, if you've connected the dots yourself, instead of someone telling you this is happening, if they give you these clues and let you draw the conclusions, you're more then yeah. you're more invested because you were like, well, I came to that conclusion myself. You know, right. So, right. Yeah. I, I agree on that. I think, um, I, I do think it's probably worth saying people use the term conspiracy theorist now or conspiracy theory now to, as an attempt to debunk legitimate investigative reporting. That's like, Hey, this isn't what the mainstream narrative is saying. Here are some counter examples. Here's some disconfirming information. And the mainstream will be like, that's conspiracy theory. It's like, well, I, I'm not, <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory. Like there's, there's real disconfirming information here. One thing that I think for me that, that does really separate them is conspiracy theory has an established theory, which is often without, um, any null hypothesis. So it's like, oh, well, here's something that means your theory is wrong. Nope. I'm just going to make it more complex to incorporate that thing rather than, yes, um, rather than simply tearing down the mainstream narrative and saying, I don't know what's going on with the mainstream narrative, but it's wrong. And here's the holes in the mainstream narrative. We can try and guess what might be actually happening, but we're not married to any one answer for what might be happening other than it's not what's being officially said because there's too much wrong with it or whatever. Yes. And we saw that with QAnon because yeah. they've now all these things that, that Q this anonymous person said were going to happen. A lot of those things did not happen. And instead of abandoning the belief that this person is telling you things that are really going to come true, that the people who still believe in QAnon, it's like morphed into something really super meta. Uh, super meta where it's like, well, those things didn't happen because there's actually a secret government and secret tribunals and people that we think are alive in real life are actually dead and they're have body doubles. It's just gotten really convoluted now. Right. Actually we're in a matrix and Trump yeah. is outside of the matrix now. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's do some more super chats. Um, Blunt objection says two weeks, months, years, decades, centuries to help flatten the curve. Take your pick. Yeah, we don't get to choose. That's the problem. But yes, all of it's two infinities. It's until they don't have power anymore. That we'll be flattening the curve until Washington is flat. Uh, I'll fight you naked. Says they wore out Nazi, then racist, now white nationalist and white supremacist. What do you think the next hate label will be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I don't know that they're aware that they've worn out most of those. I think they might have noticed that they wore out Nazi. I don't know that they've worn. I don't know that they're aware that they've worn they out all the other ones. They don't think they've worn it out. That's why I think they're surprised that it's not working as well as it used to. Because like, but I, I, but I called you a white supremacist. Like I see Dave a lot Chappelle. of fascist arguments going on. Right? Still. They called Dave Chappelle. They, but Dave Chappelle, we called you white supremacist. Why aren't <laughs> you bending the knee? Yeah. <laughs> that usually works. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what some other ones will be. Uh, I like, I like the idea of like fascists. They'll probably use again. Maybe they'll just circle back around. Um, they have, I mean, they have explicitly come after individualism. So I'm trying to think they could like their terms might get less and less. Um, they might be choose more and more mild terms, right? Um, I'm not sure. 
Uh, Marie Busky gives a swear jar. She says, no need to calm down. Thanks, Marie. Uh, <laughs> Wiley Coyote gives us five bucks for just for the hell of it. Uh, Jillian Colucci says, a super chat for two of my favorite humans. As I contracted the coof from my vaccinated parents, and I am Aww. now exempt from my weekly testing requirement at my job for the next three months. Cheers. Congratulations, Jillian. I hope you are fine, and thank you. Jillian, uh, good luck. Look, I... Uh... Anybody who I, I'm going to give this link to Beverly. Beverly, don't let me forget. Anybody who's had COVID, there's a cellular repair program that my husband and I found online it, it, that was created by this doctor who works with Olympic athletes to help people recover long term after they get over COVID with mm. all the stuff that comes with it. And so I'll put that in. The, I It's a lot of vitamins, but. That's a horse you know, medication. Who, who knows if it's helping, but it, well, yeah, it's like things that horses take, like vitamin C. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I knew it. Water. Water. Vitamin C, exercise. Like sunlight. Horse liquid. You know, they Sounds drink horrible. they drink that stuff, horses. They drink water. Um, <laughs> horses drink it. Can you imagine? No. Uh, <laughs> stupid. I still see people, you try to use that as an insult. Like, it's a horse pay. I'm like, really? Are you that far in? Are you that far in? You know what else horses breathe? Oxygen. They was like, ah, I breathed with horse, horse air today. Um, anyway, anyway, the cellular repair thing, I would recommend it. I think it was helping us. I slacked off on it. I have to start doing it again because my sense of smell and taste did start coming back. And I would say it's probably 50 or 60% back now. It's, it's been coming back slowly. And there are still right. some things I can't smell at all, like bleach. But I can smell my husband again. And I can smell lavender and garlic and, you know, all kinds of good things. So, uh, but somebody on on uh, Twitter, I saw Sardovich asked this question about people who had lost their, their senses and how long it took to come back, took for it to come back. There was one of our... Um, audience members, JJ was on there and, and said, uh, it's been a year. Wow. And they still don't have their sense of smell and taste. That sucks. So yeah, I would say to sense. those people, try something like this. It can't hurt. It may not help, but it can't hurt. It's a bunch of vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I have to read this. <laughs> uh, someone in chat, uh, Jaunt Noya um, uh, says, you mean water from like the toilet? <laughs> That's a reference to idiocracy if no one's ever seen idiocracy. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> then, then he later, or he or she later says, but you know, plants crave Brondo Bron or whatever it's called, Brondo. Oh yeah, that's Brondo. idiocracy. It has yeah. electrolytes. Um <laughs> G-Man gives us five bucks and says, communism will now have a missing context alert from the fact checkers. Russian bot, Carter, Kerry, Rainbow Bar. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is all about rewriting history. We know that. So speaking about fact checking, I think, uh, we, should, I think we should talk about our favorite Twitter microblogging platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so while you do that, I'm going to pull up this link because Gene and Chad is asking for it, the cellular repair program. Oh, okay. But let, let, yeah, let's get into this. You, you alerted me to this this morning. So um, 
Jack Dorsey stepped down as CEO from Twitter, everyone. Um, and he is being replaced by a guy named Parag Agrawal. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce this, but so I might be butchering it, not intentionally. Um, Parag Agrawal. Agrawal. Thank you. Kim. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. I got it. <laughs> um, He's been the CTO since 2018, so for not very long. Um, and he's had he's been being given uh, increasing responsibility in the company. And compared to Jack, if you compare him to Jack, Jack is the free speech guy. <laughs> That's I'm not kidding. If you compare him to Jack, Jack is the free speech guy. Uh, I have a buddy who's who thinks that Jack left. Precisely because he thinks that more censorship and control is inevitable and he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. Now, I think that's awfully generous. Uh, that's an awfully generous assessment of Jack. But uh, it could be true. Um, he, let me just, you can, there, I tweeted an interview with this guy if you want to learn a little bit about him. But let's just read some quotes. First of all, he, one of the things that's going around a lot is a quote. He, he, quoted uh asif manvi who's like a comedian On the from the daily, daily show, show i guess mm -hmm. and asif's quote was if they're not going to make a distinction between muslims and violent extremists then why should i take the time to distinguish between decent fearful white people and racists uh now the new ceo parag he tweeted that out in quotes he but he removed the words decent and fearful so his tweet is if they're not going to make a distinction between muslims and violent extremists then why should i take the time to distinguish between white people and racists um so you can kind of see where his i have a revenge couple it's like it's like a revenge attitude right yeah i have a couple thoughts on that before we move on just quickly okay. off the top of my head when i saw that it's mm -hmm. just such a messed up way of thinking first of all i think your premise is wrong i think most people do I don't know who they is when he says if they don't, do, maybe right, he means yeah. white people, but if they don't distinguish between Muslims and extremists, I think most people do, first of all. Secondly, um, even if that were true, if they don't, if they, whoever they is, don't distinguish between Muslims and extremists, saying it, it's so such a messed up way of thinking, saying these people do X, Y, Z. I think X, Y, Z is bad. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Like that's messed up. That's a messed up way yeah, of living. There's, yeah, there's also, uh, so if you're going to bring that up, yeah, I, there's also something that I think is fundamentally, there's a fundamental disconnect here or a fundamental uh, dishonesty. Muslims are not a race. It's a belief system. White is not a belief system. It is a race. Right. So if you say people aren't differentiating between this belief system people who believe this belief system and people who are violent extremist adherents to this belief system. If you want to, if you want to then apply that back to them, because you're a resentful jerk, then you would say, well, I'm not going to distinguish between Christians and uh, what's that, what's that group that the Westboro Baptist church or whatever, right. like, okay, I, I guess you could do that. It's still the argument Carrie just made is still correct. Why would you do the bad behavior that you're like, <laughs> it's, it's still it's bad. Like saying I don't like when you dox people, so I'm going to dox people. Wait, right. What? However, 
he this is worse than that because white isn't a belief system. Yeah. Like extremely like you could say, well, taking Islam to it, it's extreme. You might become a violent extremist. Like, okay. Taking white to its extreme doesn't make you a racist. <laughs> There's no way to take white to its extreme. You're just white. It's just a thing. It's just a it's not a belief system. So the conflation of a belief system with a race is vile on top of the vile thing that Carrie was talking about, which is taking this wrong and saying, I'm going to do the wrong, which is like childish also. It's like it's it's childish and resentful. I see people yeah. do that all the time. They try and justify something awful. You know who does that? Abusers do that. But it's they yes. try and justify abusive behavior by saying, well, you're, you're doing it. And so I'm doing it. What? No, that's messed up. If you yes. actually disagree with the behavior and find it uh, reprehensible, then you don't engage in it yourself. And if you do, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're just looking for ways to justify your reprehensible behavior. Well, you did it first. Gross. It's right. gross. That's an absolutely vile quote. Yep. Well, as as a couple of people in chat are pointing out, the Smithsonian, and we've, we've talked about this on the show before, right? The Smithsonian has actually called whiteness a belief system, right? Because they've, 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 actually, this sounds like one of the most white supremacist thing, belief systems you could possibly have that the Smithsonian is putting forward, but they're crediting with whiteness with reason, individualism, math, showing up on time. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a smorgasbord of good qualities that they're calling whiteness. However, um, you know, obviously, obviously that's not true, but maybe that's how, maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's like, well, they're both belief system, belief systems. Whiteness is all these things, which is. Well, they, I, it's horrible. two things simultaneously. As Kiara said, uh, hey, Kiara, she says, Carter's really clarified something from right now. They think white is a belief system. Maybe, but, and they do say white, they try, they try and, I think they pretend that they think whiteness is something separate from race, but they don't actually, they try, I think they pretend that that's what, like when they attack Dave Chappelle, call him white supremacist, for example, even though he's black, <laughs> I think right. they are doing it because they're saying whiteness is a, a, a way of being in a, in a, it's an ideology and they, yeah. but they, I don't think they really believe that. And at the, and I, at the end of the I day, one, one, of one okay. last thing though. They also the the opposite is true. They view Muslim, they view Islam as a race. They do. They right. yes. they they de facto think like when they talk about Muslims, they don't just mean a way of belief. They mean uh, brown brown people. You know, they always say <laughs> right, brown yeah. people. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. They do mean that. That is true. Um, yeah, I I think I was. If I think about how they think about whiteness, I think they view it as a communicable genetic disease. Mm. So I think it's like, well, if you're white, you have the disease and it's despicable and horrible, but you could also communicate it to Larry Elder. Like <laughs> he could catch it from you. And then he also has the horrible disease. Uh, like that, that's how, I think that's how they view it. It's like, it's genetic, but it's communicable. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Because he's not politically black, right? That's what I think. He's not <laughs> right, politically yeah. black. I decided I'm going to start borrowing all their ridiculous phrases they come up with. Like, like uh, who was it that said that? Was it Nicole Hannah-Jones? Is it some, a person can be black but not politically black? So uh, I just wanted to declare that uh, I am uh, politically black but physically white. 
um, and spiritually, <laughs> culturally Mexican. That's <laughs> that's a lot in there. <sighs> All right. So that's one thing he said. He tweeted this. But uh, you can listen to some interviews he's done in the past. I'm just going to read some quotes that I took from an interview I listened to. Um, the first one is our role. This is him. This is the new CEO of Twitter. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation. And our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. And then later in the same quote, he says, to focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. Uh, another, And then the other favorite quote of mine of his uh, from this interview is, we focus way less on what's true and what's false. By the way, this is like, I love how postmodern this is. It's so, it's so postmodern. We focus way less on what's true and what's false. We focus way more on potential for harm. Potential for harm. Can we put these um, quotes up on the screen? These are really uh, disturbing. Beverly, they're sitting in uh, Notion. If you want to put them up, feel free. Uh, I do I do want to take a moment. So people ask that I bring the word of the day back. Where is it? Hold on. It's over here. It's harm. Today's word is harm. Okay. Uh, brought to you by the new CEO of Twitter. Uh, I... I think this is worth pointing out. We talk a lot about how the left uses words not to mean any particular thing, but just as uh, syllables that they can spout to try and get you to behave in a certain way. They don't really care if they're connected to reality or not. Now, obviously, you can't go through life speaking that way completely. A lot of your words have to be connected to reality. You can't any bad philosophy or belief system. You can't implement 100 percent. You you would die. Right. You can't. You can't. Right. So. They can't 100% act like words are just whatever, right? But what they do, oh, you're just going <laughs> to, she just grabbed it from Notion. All right. And then there's my note about single, this is my note to myself, stupid single antigen response stuff. Thanks, Beverly. That's super professional. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's talk about this for just a second. I, I'm going to assume everyone's taken algebra. You have an equation. Let's say you have two plus two equals four, right? Or two plus two equals y equals two plus two. Let's make an equation. Y equals two plus two. Okay. Two is a concrete, which is well defined. The other two will make it two plus one. Two is a concrete, which is well defined. One is a concrete, which is well defined. So two plus one, you're forced into an answer for y. That answer is three. You can't choose whatever you want. Two is an input. One is an input. They're both inputs to the addition operation. You're forced into three. Now. Using this analogy for how Twitter wants to run its business, if they have a tweet and a terms of service, and those two inputs are very clear and well-defined, they're going to be forced into a particular behavior. They don't want that. They don't want their terms of service to look like 2 plus 1 plus 3 plus 4, whatever their thing is, so you add them up and you get the answer. They need a variable. Because they need the answer to be whatever they want the answer to be. So they need the equation to look like 2 plus x equals y. And then if they need y to be 3, hey, x is 1. If they need y to be 5, oh, fine. x is 3, right? They can make x whatever they want. How do they do that? Well, 
they take a word in the English language and use it as a variable. Harm is a variable. Harm is not a concept for them. They're not using it as a concept. It doesn't mean anything at all. What it means is X. The same way that they use actually healthier or healthy when they talk about a public conversation. It's X. It's a variable. It can take on any value that they desire precisely so that they can later claim we are following our rules and the outcome is this particular outcome. And look, it just happens to be exactly what we wanted, right? Because they can just reverse solve the equation, plug in for X what they want and get the Y that they want. It These words, when you hear another word they use a lot, safety. When you hear safety and harm and healthy conversation on Twitter, those are those are linguistic variables. They're not words. They're not language relating to actual concepts at all. They're intentionally not relating to actual concepts. They can't have them relate to actual concepts. They need them to be fuzzy, ill-defined, and subjective so that they can assign whatever value they want so that they can let Ta-Nehisi Coates tweet out any racist, horrible, he could, he could threaten violence against people, and it doesn't count as harm. But the minute you tweet about the, the Omicron variant in the wrong way, that's harm. And it's been aside. Carrie is showing us her door, which is very nice. Um, so that's what they're doing. That, that's all, all I really want to say about that. I'm sorry. The dogs just turned my computer. Uh, that, was a, that was a great way of describing that. I saw people in the chat like that too, that it's variable because they can plug anything they want into what those words mean. This is harm. This is not harm. This is safety. This is not safety. In fact, the exact opposite, as we've seen, the, these terms are very Orwellian for them. So they can plug, right. you know, something that actually is harmful. They can say it's not harmful, you know. Right. They, and they violence. need those variables. Yeah. Violence. Right? If they didn't have that ambiguity, if they didn't have those words that could be used as placeholders for anything, then people could hold them accountable and they would look worse. They would probably still do what they're doing, but everyone would be like, hey, you're not doing what you said. And they would look like hypocrites and they look bad this way. They don't look like they're ever doing anything wrong. Yeah. Well, harm in this con, then they use the word context harm in this context, which to them means what I want harm in this context yeah. is blah, blah, blah. All right. Yeah. Right? That's why it, in fact, I hadn't thought of the word context until just now, but they're doing that. They're, 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 rewriting what they're redefining what the word context means as well when you look at the wikipedia thing too right well it doesn't have context <laughs> like that that's not what it doesn't have it has got plenty of context there's citations here's stalin here's mao here's pol pot that's the context here's what was going on like that's all the con here's how they died in the ukraine um like that's the context the context is there what it doesn't have is the uh political framing and and bias that you want. That's what it doesn't have, mm -hmm. right? Colin P gives us a super chat, $10 and says, thanks for the conspiracy discussion. The null hypothesis distinction was a great point. I've been thinking about AJ talking about Epstein for years and New York Times promoting the Trump-Russia conspiracy. Oh, yeah, right? You can't disprove the Trump, even now, it's crazy. There's still... Yeah. They're still on it. There's they no null no hypothesis. For they will Trump still Russia. find ways. Right. Yeah. Like right. QAnon. Trump, Russia, <laughs> Russiagate is the Q, one, one of the many Q, uh, uh, QAnons of the right. legitimate establishment media. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's um, funny how I'll they fight go... naked says go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's so funny how they go so hard after Q after Q and on community when and I think the reason they, they do that is because they are Q and on. They are just as culpable. But they're I think they love the Q and because yeah. it does make it make people pointing out their um because they they are lying all the time. Mm-hmm. They are throwing fake news at us all the time. There is legitimate investigative reporting to be done, exposing their corruption. And what they like about QAnon is it's crazy enough that they can lump everyone of their critics into the QAnon camp and say, well, look, these people believe, I don't know what QAnon believes right now, but let's just pretend they believe that aliens are inhabiting a fake Joe Biden and Trump is secretly the president in Guatemala or whatever. Like they, they have this thing and they say, look how crazy it is. And they lump... Everyone from QAnon to Glenn Greenwald in the same thing. <laughs> They're like, well, yes. there we go. Those are crazy people. And it's like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And it, they, they do it so they can. I mean, they would even call us QAnon. They call anybody who shares right. any of the, the. The thing is, what we were talking about earlier, we have all these different clues or facts. And then Q wants you to link all those together and come up with some conclusions from them. Right. But some of those facts are, I mean, they are facts. That's why that's why it yes. is appealing to, to people psychologically, because these are things that are happening. You know, yes, the media does lie to you. Yes, that's true. Yes. Uh, pedophilia being protected by the elite is a thing that happens. Look at this uh, Gisela Maxwell trial that's happening. Uh, I don't know how to say her name. <laughs> we'll just do no, it. I think it's just Lane. I don't know. Jelaine. I. I the Maxwell trial bothers me because yeah, they're, they're not. They're, there's no cameras. There's no camera gag order. Okay, so they can't even. Re- I don't know what it's. I was reading. I don't know if it's a gag order. There is a like federal courts don't allow cameras. Um, okay. So I don't know that it's a gag order, but there was regardless of why, regardless of why, regardless. Um, even even if it's a rule. It's a it's a rule worth thinking about. Like, why is that rule there? Why are we? For whatever reason, why are we allowed to watch the Rittenhouse trial live streamed? But here we are, a woman who's being accused of assisting Epstein in procuring children for pedophilia and sex crimes generally. That's what she's being accused of. And and for powerful people doing this for Epstein on behalf of really powerful people, I mean, people on that that list um, who had taken trips to Pedo Island, Clintons. Uh, actually, I think Trump was in one picture. I don't know if he was on the plane, but like Clintons. I think uh, even people on the right, like um, uh, Alan Dershowitz, Dershowitz or whatever, he, he was on the list. Um, lots of people on the left. I don't know if Bill Gates, one of them, I don't know, just lots of powerful people that you'd be like, I don't remember all the names, but lots of celebrities, politicians, powerful people, mostly on the left, or at least part of the establishment. Yeah. All potentially implicated by this. If, if there's anything that you would think that the American people would be most interested in hearing, it's this trial and watching this trial, like what's going on? What is she saying? What's being said? Um, and I get that they're worried. Like, I get that you could say, well, what about witnesses? And we don't want to, you know, ruin the anonymity of witnesses. If that was really a concern, you could 
you turn the cameras off during witness like you know you had to turn the cameras off during written house at, at certain points because they didn't want to expose the jury and judges you know having a conversation with the jury or whatever so you could do the same thing um if you really cared and you could let the prosecute you could hear the prosecution you could hear all the arguments um you could hear the defense all that can happen uh you know if you have to do a delay and beep out bleep out stuff fine do that so anyway. i just wanted to clarify a couple things yeah you are you are correct um newsweek says there is no gag order it's because it's a federal trial well don't assume i'm correct because newsweek says it but okay well that's true <laughs> but uh bill clinton was on what they they call the lolita express on Epstein's yes. private plane numerous times numerous times kevin spacey mm -hmm. was on it gross that's not a surprise <laughs> uh lots of different celebrities some of the other people on it were uh uh, Alan Dershowitz, as you mentioned, Hey, I don't believe Trump was on it. I know that he, no, was no, at, I don't think he was on it. He was in a picture with Epstein or something. He was in he a was picture with him. Yes. And they've tried really hard to lean into that. And, yeah. I don't think know, he was on the plane at all, Trump, but yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm throwing that out there as like, he's a, like, I don't, I doubt he had anything to do with this, but he's a character that like, we would, we would want to know if he was involved, like, He's, he's a public figure that, right? you know, we, we would want to know if he was implicated in this, I assume. All right. Yeah. Um, none of your businesses. The rule isn't there to protect us from the courts. <laughs> none of the rules are there to protect us from the government. <laughs> that is true. But that's often the justification for things. But yes, that is a good point. None of your business. I'm going to read a couple super chats. Um, I'll fight you naked says conspiracy theory equals what you said bothers me and I want to dismiss it, but I don't want to have to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. TPS says Q is psyops to placate the more wacky Trumpers. I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's true, but it does read, uh, some, someone else in chat said it was, uh, FBI fan fiction. Like it does read like FBI fan fiction a little bit. TPS says, imagine only New York Times for Rittenhouse, not video. Right. Yeah. Especially knowing it's even worse because New York Times probably doesn't have anyone, any connections with any powerful people who cares about who cared about the Rittenhouse outcome one way or another. But they do have connections with powerful people who care about the Maxwell trial one way or another so it's even worse right it's even worse not only are we only seeing it filtered through the mainstream press we're seeing it filtered we're seeing a mainstream press with even more of an incentive than they had during the written rittenhouse trial to misrepresent what's going on oh absolutely yeah absolutely and also i think it's it's just a this is one of the few things where people are united despite their attempts to divide the people along political lines partisan lines like Republican or Democrat or divide people along uh, racial lines. This is one of the few things that all, the public is united on saying this is super fishy. It's awful. Um, Epstein did not kill himself. You know, all these things that across yeah. every type of partisanship people agree on. So they can't allow us to watch this trial and be united in our opinions about the elite and pedophilia and, and you know, how the links that they go to, to, hide it so i don't know yep what look at all the um, stuff that's in the media that we're talking about instead you know this twitter announcement happened right now 
Uh, yeah. Every day there's some 24 hour news cycle, something that we're talking about other than this, this trial and other than the, the car, the attack, the car attack in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> I'm watching, just so you know, you can follow, I'm following the Maxwell trial tracker. It's, it's uh, at tracker trial on Twitter and they are like live tweeting stuff. Um, and so they're tweeting, um, they're tweeting different, um, you know, developments or whatever. They have a list right now of all 26 locations that Bill Clinton flew with Jeffrey Epstein on the Lolita Express. 26 different places he went with Epstein. Um, they also have a quote. Uh, in, someone said in a deposition in 2016, they said, you know, I remember asking Jeffrey, what, what's Bill Clinton doing here on Epstein's island? And he laughed it off and said, well, he owes me favors. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of conspiracy theories, am I the only person who thinks that, can I say conspiracy theory or we get banned? What? <laughs> I don't think, conspiracy theory? you know, everybody says Epstein didn't kill himself. Mm. I agree. I also don't think he's dead. That's just me. Oh, you don't I mean, think why? he's dead even? No, no. Because a guy mm. like that, you would think has a kill switch. Like if, if I die, XYZ information is released in some way, you know, and nothing was ever released. So I don't you think, think he has a kill switch. Maybe. Um, That's just, I would just think maybe. that, that, that you would have that. And so I, I think Bill Gates wife probably has a kill switch. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? There are certain people who probably need that, need that protection. He's an idiot. <laughs> if he didn't have a kill switch, right? Right. There are certain people who I don't need that, but there are certain people who need to have a look. If I get knocked off, all this information comes out like mobsters, like uh, people who run pedophile rings. Like you would think they have that. <laughs> yeah, because so, we know we don't. We also know that he had um, like recorded evidence at his island of yeah. stuff. I yeah. think we know that, right? And nothing so came out. Yeah, that would be out by now. Like, so if it's a good. And like if it's, it's feasible good, to believe good, that someone yeah. one of his many people that didn't want him uh, 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 prosecuted or on trial, if it's feasible to believe that they did that they faked his suicide, why not also fake the death entirely? I mean, whatever. Conspiracy theory, YouTube. That's all it is. <laughs> Matt Deckard says no one ever honors the switch. I don't know if he's joking or not, but I mean, uh, you could definitely hire a lawyer. They don't even have to know who you are. Like they could barely know who you are. You could you could do it. You could do it through lawyers and just be like. This gets sent to this address upon the death of this man. Like, yeah. Now, maybe if he's if it gets sent to like the New York Times, they got it and they were like, "Oh, we need to bury this." <laughs> maybe it was stupidly. Yeah. Maybe his, his kill switch was dumb, and he was like, "I'll tell all the major media outlets." And like, uh, you needed to send it to Alex Jones, buddy. Like, uh, I don't want to say buddy. I don't want to call him a buddy, but yeah. Suicide Squad too. When the the most unbelievable oh, part of that movie is when. They find these secret files on a floppy disk that they need to prove that the government was involved in this nefarious project. And they're like, let's get this to the media. <laughs> <laughs> Remember we laughed about that? I thought that was the funniest part. We got to get this out to the media. They'll expose this. <laughs> but they won't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And someone else, Jean Ellis points out, and she's joking, but she says, knowing the Clintons all need kill switches. Yeah. But I mean, actually, let's really, 
seriously, he did know the Clintons very well. I mean, he would have to have a kill switch. He would have to have a kill switch. Somebody says it's called Dead Man Switch. Yeah, that's what. Whatever, that's what Dead Man Switch. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think I called it Kill Switch by mistake. But anyway, you know what I mean. Something that we all know. What like, yeah, Dead Man Switch. Whatever. Prevent the possibility that your enemies, whom if you're if you're Epstein and you have all kinds of dirt on numerous high-profile, powerful individuals, you would think that you would have something set up to in the event of your death that would make that would make it um, unlikely that they would want to take you out, even that you even though you have all this stuff on them, you know. Someone needs to go find him. Yeah. <laughs> Someone needs to go find this dude because he's probably not the kind of guy who's like at home by himself, not seeing anyone. Like he's not ordering DoorDash and having them <laughs> like right. he's out. Someone needs to go find him. Right. Uh, someone says Killswitch is a band. All right. And it does sound more intimate, uh, Judson. So, all right. Well, uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't have a lot more to say about the trial. I'm going to pay attention to it. I do recommend people follow what's this. The, it's at what's Tracker the Trial. Tracker Trial. Yeah. Um, and there's actually another backup one because they're worried about <laughs> they're worried about getting kicked off of Twitter just for live tweeting the trial, which is telling. Um, I don't know where the back. I can't find the backup one. There is a backup one somewhere. They tweeted about it once in a while. Um, and you can go. They have a newsletter that you can subscribe to and blah, blah, blah. So. Anyway. I, do we have to talk about pedophiles anymore or can we stop? <laughs> well, speaking of inappropriate interactions with children, I did want to send you this. This isn't. This is just indicative, I think, of where we're at right now in the mainstream in public schools. This is a teacher oh, at a public a public charter school in Durham, North Carolina. I used to go to school there. And yeah. I was reading Carrie, through this. Or not Carrie, Beverly, pull it up. There you go. Yeah. So for anybody who's just listening and not watching, this is a, from the Twitter feed of this teacher named Nalo. And it's a picture of her at home. And she's presents as non-binary and claims to be non-binary so she anyway it's a tweet where she says my students call me professor nalo because i prefer not to use mrs or mr in my classroom i teach all subjects as a first grade teacher but my favorite moments are always when my students ask about my queerness and i have a my, question I yeah do you get a phd just because you want your you don't want to use mr or mrs Maybe <laughs> I don't like being called Mr. or Mrs. So PhD me. I'm a professor now. Yeah. That's not how that works, but okay. Yeah. Um, and so, what's the turtle icon? Is that a thing? Do you know what the turtle icon that's is? That's her thing. She loves turtles. She has a couple oh, of okay. turtles and she calls her students turtles. Um, she also has posted, uh, there's another image. Uh, let me send this one to you where she, it sort of seems to be bragging. She's obsessed with race, like a lot of woke people are, um, and sort of seems to be bragging that none of her students are white. Um, she also, I'm sending you that one to put up, Beverly. Uh, she also tweeted recently a long tweet thread about her grief at her grandmother 
her grandmother transitioning and how, and, and when I first read that, because she's genderqueer, she claims to be non-binary, I thought she meant her grandmother had become a man. <laughs> 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 but she meant her grandma, it's actually sad that her grandma had passed away. And I was like, oh, that word, they use that word transitioning. But she had a whole tweet thread about her students basically giving her grief counseling about her grandma, which I, that, I agree, that's beautiful, but that's not why your six-year-old six-year-old students are there. That's not why first graders are there. They're not there to help you process your grief as an adult. And they're not there to validate your queerness. They're not there to ask you questions about your queerness and, and validate it. And he, look, here's the one I was talking about. It's a picture of her classroom and her standing at the front with her arms spread wide. And you can see all of her students there. Uh, I don't know if she had permission to post this or not, but <laughs> she has pictures of all these underage kids. It says, I don't have a single white child in my class. It's so interesting to note on my first year of teaching, these babies have been the greatest gift I never knew I needed. I'll do whatever it takes to serve you. Hashtag first grade sweethearts. She has a lot of tweets about that. That seem to be, it's, it's, it's more about the students, these six-year-olds validating her, giving her joy than it is about her teaching them anything. And I have mixed opinions about this woman uh, reading through her thread. I, I think she's the type of person that if we hung out, we could really get on in real life. Like, and unless her fundamentalist beliefs came up and she decided she didn't want to talk to me anymore. Uh, but, but I think she's a, a warm hearted, open hearted person who has been severely misled and, and is going down the wrong path of ideology. And, and psychologically speaking, I think she has a lot of issues and she's looking for six year olds to fix those issues. I think this is emotional, emotionally predatory. On children. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, what six-year-old actually asks you about your queerness? I don't believe you that it comes up without your prodding. I don't believe you. Like if I walked into a classroom and said, don't call me Mr. Laren, call me Professor Laren. No one would be like, are you queer? Let's talk about your queerness. Like that wouldn't happen. How does it get brought up? How do they ask about it? I don't believe her that they don't ask about it without prodding. I just don't. And you can see that she's getting emotional support and validation from these six-year-olds, which as you point out, is inappropriate. Um, I think it's, I think this is predatory. Yeah. If you need validation for your queerness, go to therapy. Yeah. And, it, and people, I think some people were confused. They, they were like, I don't mind someone using the title professor. And I don't either. I don't really care about that. It, it was that second part of the tweet about her, the most joy that she gets from teaching is when her students ask her about her queerness. It's so narcissistic. And it's so backwards about like what your role, what your role should be as a teacher. It's not well, like. Well, let's talk about it. These are first graders. Yeah. What's the question? What's the first grade question about your queerness? Seriously, what yeah. is it? She said, she did answer that. She what said that, she said they asked her about her wife and her haircut and her choice of clothing, that that's what she means. Okay. But she, what do they ask? How do they know she has a wife? She told what them. What do they ask about? Okay. I just, I guess, like, it, that's not a question about your queerness. How's your wife? 
Look, I don't, I don't, like, that's not, I don't, I don't believe her. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I just don't believe her. I don't, I don't believe that kids unprompted are going to ask about her queerness. I just, I don't, I don't believe that. Unless mm -hmm. she's misrepresenting and they're like, oh, what's your wife's name? Deborah. Okay. Like, okay, well, I'm fine with that too. That's not a question about your queerness though. That's just a question about like, who's your wife or whatever. Or if you say my wife plays the flute or whatever it is, like, that's not a, that I don't, that's not the, that's not the kind of conversation she's implying with that tweet. I haven't read her tweet thing, but she's implying it's a conversation about her queerness, which six-year-olds don't need to have. Yeah. And I can't imagine they would unprompted start asking. Here's, here's the rest of her tweet thread in case you have thoughts about this. She says, I was asked recently during a podcast interview why I don't use Mrs. or Mr. to refer to myself. And I asked her why I needed to. She said, don't you think it'll be hard for children to adjust? But the truth is, it has never been children that struggle with adjusting to the complexities of human experiences. My students are six to seven years old, and they are still steeped in the magic of curiosity. My students know about and have met my wife at school. They know I'm queer. And the turtles will call anybody out for calling me Mrs. Anything. I told them my story once and never needed to say it again. If only adults adjusted as quickly and easily, it may save many of our lives. When I had virtual conferences, anytime a parent mistook my title, my student would appear and say, no, it's Professor Nalo. And I would struggle so much to keep my bearing because they do not play about me. It has been such a wondrous experience to teach and learn with them. And I know the impact will make room for them to see beyond homophobia, transphobia, to embrace nuance and complexity in the human experience. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, I, I look at this and I'm like, uh, if it's just calling her professor, but I guess, I guess my, I guess my question is, I told them about, I told them my story once. Like, <laughs> I would like to hear what led to the telling of your story and what that story was that you told six-year-olds because right. I don't, I don't know. I, I seriously, if someone just said, I'm professor Nalo, I, I don't know. You know, a kid says, Mrs. Nalo, you just say it's professor. Okay. Like you don't done. Yeah. You, you don't have to, you can correct them just like that. And it's not a big deal. Yeah. Today, right? kids, we're going to talk about my queerness. You know, like, let me tell you my story. And and by the way, I know it's not one telling because you just said your favorite parts of teaching when they ask you about your queerness. So every time they ask you, you're talking about it again. Every time yeah, they I ask just you, you know, I just don't believe this looks, this looks, um, this looks constructed to me in a way that I'm not even sure what to believe about this. I mean, I yeah. believe that she's a queer teacher, but I'm yeah. not sure what else to believe. About. Yeah. Anyway, I just saw that. And I think her more... favorite part, by the way, is tweeting about her students asking her yeah. about queerness. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so because then she gets claps for it too. It's like my favorite part of teaching is tweeting about my students asking about my queerness. And my second favorite part is when they actually ask me about my queerness. Me, <laughs> right. me, me, so me, 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 me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almara sixty seven says contrived. Yeah, it feels contrived to me. The whole thing feels contrived. So I don't know what to criticize and not because I don't know what's true. Um, other than that, she wants attention. That's clear. One of the responses to her was, um, you know, I'm a teacher. My favorite part of teaching is when my students learn to read. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Is when they start to learn to read. <laughs> yeah. 
that's a I might expect that. Uh, all right, let's do a couple more super chats. Um, Sweet Briar McCollum says, between the dead man switch and the Clintons, I think we are back in empire politics, Roman, whatever, more than ever. Hitch for the sake of preserving control is common. The return of history is rough. <sighs> I hate to say it, but I mean, it, it, it does feel like that, especially if you start looking at the explicit plans from the World Economic Forum and a lot of the global elites. Uh, it's not, it doesn't feel like a conspiracy to say, hmm, there's, there's a lot going on here behind the scenes. There's a lot of control being uh, manipulated behind the scenes and hits happening. Sure. Right. I mean, I didn't think Vince Foster killed himself. So <laughs> Epstein didn't kill himself either. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a long list. I don't even know if it starts with Vince Foster, but there's a long list with that ilk and people connected to them. So nouns are variables. MJR says nouns are as variables is simple to explain. You just did. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Finest City Cycling says, Carter, have you seen how much these teachers get paid in California? Most are ADK plus all accessible via public records. I haven't seen uh, how much they get paid. I will say if they live in the Bay Area, they probably need to get paid a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not, a, it's not, we're not not funding schools. That's a misnomer. We're not not funding our schools. We're, we're overfunding schools. Jeff Turcutt says, this is not a super chat, it's just, uh, but I wanted to read this. I saw, he says, guys, nowadays, believe it or not, students are actually Facebook friends with their teachers. That to me is, I don't know if that was sarcasm or not, but I'm assuming I'm taking it at face value. I think that's strange too. I had a therapist once, um, a, a couples counselor years ago, who told us at the beginning I don't, I won't friend you on social media. Like if you want to follow me and read any of the things I tweet out or different articles I tweet about relationships or psychology, whatever you can do that, but I'm not going to friend you because I think it uh, breaks that, that relate the professional relationship that we have. And I really respected that more than I had another therapist who friended me. And it was like, after the, after that experience, I was like, yeah, it kind of changed the way I thought about it. I didn't, I didn't really like that. I didn't want to really want to be your social media friend if I have this professional therapeutic relationship with you, that's just me. Everybody doesn't have to agree with me, but I sort of have started to think that way about teachers as well. It's sort of like, no, you don't need to be social media friends with your students. Like they don't need to see a window into your life at home and all of like, I, I don't know. It just, does that strike you as inappropriate? It does me. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, it does strike me as inappropriate to have a teacher see into the life of the student at home. Absolutely. Like it's not, but we're using teachers versa. as substitutes. We're pro proxy for parents. Yes. And vice versa. Right. Um, they're, they're, you know, they are serving a function. Um, and that function should be scoped. Uh, it's not, it's not, this is not, they're not uncle Nola or whatever. Right. It's yeah. not like, that's not what it is. Um, but there's there's a blurring of those boundaries, and I think partly because the the agenda here is to take over raising children completely and have children be wards of the state. And wards of the state doesn't mean wards of a piece of paper. It means wards of people who work for the state, 
right? Like that's what that means, right? The, the state is comprised of people who execute uh, the the power that the state is is executing. And so, yes, teachers are are the front lines of of the state in that regard. And so they would be they would be on they would be there commingling personal relationship because they were wanting to be your family. Right. They're wanting you to think of the state as your family. The yes. teacher is part of your family. Yes. She's in your family and you're in her family. And like it's a it's a commingled thing because they need to separate you from your actual family because your actual family might be wrong thinkers. And that you can't yeah. have that. Yeah. Um the therapist thing. I I agree with you, although I could see a therapist, if the therapist was explicit about it, I could see a therapist saying, I want to creep on your Facebook profile. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to give you access to mine, but I want you to give me access to your Facebook profile because my job is to hold you accountable and you're going to come in and give me some bullshit during our sessions and I want to be able to look into what you're going on in real life. If you don't want that, then I don't want to be your therapist. Like, I could see that as a method of therapy and not everyone would want that. I'm not sure I would want it. Carrie wouldn't want it. But some people would probably be like, yeah, hold me accountable. Like, why don't you pay attention to what I'm doing on Facebook? But that's fine, right? Um, but I wouldn't want to see my therapist's personal information. Like, I don't want to know what my therapists. I had a therapist once also who uh, would give me like way too much TMI into his personal yeah. life. And yes. I'm like, actually, I don't. No. I, yeah, I know you think that makes it us closer. That mm. creeps me out. I don't want to know your yeah. personal life. I had one who, when I started waking up, she started becoming more woke. And it, and I could see it online and it was, I sort of lost respect at that point. It's like, mm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. By the way, someone in chat asked me if I have a masked tan on and I just looked, it looks like I do. I think it's my glasses. Does it go away? If I take my glasses off. I think there's, I don't they're see creating it. like a, yeah, oh, they're creating okay. a shadow and it looks like I have a masked tan line. It's pretty funny. Can I? Yes. I'm very compliant. Everyone should have a masked tan line. And if you don't have a masked tan line, you're a bad, bad person who wants to kill grandma. Uh Oh, who's this? This is the, one of the dogs that keeps making so much noise. Her name's Lily. She's a Frenchie. She has breathing problems like Frenchies do. So that's the noise that you're hearing. Anyway, it's her birthday. <laughs> Hi, Frenchie. We're wrapping up. So I thought I would just show I think you we can wrap up. Yeah, yeah. And unless we have anything else. I think we've, you know. Oh, I will tell you the weirdest thing that the weirdest conversation I've had in a while. This is since we're having profile you tell me okay. what you think about this. So this weekend, my husband and I were buying a piece of furniture from this antique shop. And the woman who owns the shop is from California. She's transplanted to Texas. And uh -oh. she, I don't know if she's woke or not. Like there's a lot of people escaping California who are not woke. I have no idea. But our friend who lives near there, it lives in the same building. Like they've had it out. Like they don't like each other at all. And, and uh, I'm putting that aside, you know, okay. she has some great stuff in her shop. And so anyway, we were buying this piece and, and it had come out that I was friends with this guy and, you know, that was fine. She didn't say anything uh, about it. And, and I just, you know, I didn't acknowledge, I knew that they had had uh, a disagreement, but uh, let me give you the relevant context. As she was ringing me up, I she was talking about Tiger, my dog, being in that sling, that papoose. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, have you seen these these outrage articles about 
cultural appropriation, like baby wearing, how you can't, you can't put oh, your kid mm -hmm. in a sling because it's culturally appropriating. It was like, as if white people just carry our babies around by their hair. It's kind of laughing. Right. And I was like, but I'm culturally appropriating because it's a dog. Right. And she sort of laughed. I couldn't tell. I was trying to judge if she was woke or not. And hold on the mailman right in the middle of the story. Hold on one second. Damn mailman. Uh, <laughs> let me look through chat. See what's going on. Peter says, wait, who are you talking about? He's so based that he doesn't even have an underwear tan line. I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, let's see. I agree that dogs aren't children. But a lot of people like to like to treat their pets as children. I'm not. Uh, I don't conflate the two too much. Let's see what else we have in chat. I'm gonna scroll up, see if there's what. What, what should we talk about while Carrie's gone? Oh, she's back. Epstein is Mossad. <laughs> yeah, that's there's a conspiracy theory for you. I would like that one, Demon Slayer. I would like that unpacked a little bit. Carrie, have you taken uh, care of the mailman? Is he buried in the backyard? Yeah, I put I put the dogs away. So oh. here's here's so here's the end of the story. So I couldn't tell if she, if she she sort of laughed. But I couldn't really tell if she was woke or not, or if she thought that was funny, or maybe she just doesn't like puns, like cultural appropriation. I don't know. But then she said she had kept bragging about, or she's not bragging, but she was speaking well of this delivery guy she has, and she was giving me the info. And she's like, so when you call this guy, make sure you tell him da 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 da. I was like, oh, is that the mover? Like the delivery guy? And she said, yes. And then she goes, he's black. Is, is that okay? And <laughs> yes, that was my reaction. Like, what? This is is it okay with him? Because if, if not, <laughs> right? he should go to therapy because it's been a while. Right. And I just, I was, <laughs> she was like, is that okay? And I, I was like, yeah. I was like looking around like, am I being punked? And she's like, she says, well, you never know. And I, and I was like, really? Are you joking right now? Are you joking? And she was like, I don't, you never know. And here, it, I, and I couldn't tell. I was like laughing, like, okay, yeah, it's fine with me. And, uh, and then I couldn't tell afterwards. It was such a weird, I've never had an interaction like that. And I, we were trying to figure out afterwards, I was talking with uh, my husband and my friends, like, okay, it, is she racist? Or does she encounter a lot of racists and is accommodating towards them? Or is being from California, does she assume she's going to encounter a lot of racists? And so, or I, mean, I couldn't figure, or is she trying to figure out if I'm a racist? Like, what a weird, gross thing to say. <laughs> so it was just so bizarre. I really thought at first it was a joke. Like, it's got, I a, think she has to be a racist. Yeah. Okay. Because if you encountered a lot of racists, you still would not treat them with that kind of deference, right? If I encountered yeah. a lot of racists, I would be like, I would, I would like secretly like, <laughs> he's black, they're gonna be pissed off. Like, right. like I wouldn't, I wouldn't like ask him if it was okay or anything. I would just <laughs> be normal and like screw them if they had a problem with it, right? So I don't like, I don't think you would act that way if it was other people. I it, I don't know. I think you would have to be the racist. I'm not. It's sure, weird, but... right? Yeah. It's just very I don't know. Anyway, I I had to I had to laugh. It was so absurd. While you were gone, <laughs> while you were gone, I was reading some things in chat and responding, but apparently I was being creepy because someone said, "Who are you talking to? There's no one there." 
I should probably say when I'm like, oh, I'm responding to someone in chat. Sometimes I'm just having a conversation in my head and I'm reading a, a chat and then responding to it. But like everyone only hears my half of the conversation. <laughs> They're not knowing that I'm responding to something in chat. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we can wrap it up. That, <laughs> well, that, thank you for wait. the racist story. Yeah. Something funny in chat though. Well, so somebody says maybe she was testing you like you were testing her, right? And which is what I thought. I was like, maybe she's testing to see. She's assuming that, like, I'm a racist because I made a cultural appropriation joke. So she's testing to see what I say. Like, oh, black. Oh, that's a black person. Uh, like, but who would ever say that? And then, uh, yeah, and then I don't know. I mean, somebody maybe. else says, uh, I think she was trying to take a swipe at you. Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't know. That somebody said, quote, Ross says, let me call my grand wizard to check if it's okay. <laughs> right? What a weird thing. You should anyway. have said that. Yeah. Hold on. Let me call my husband and see what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> you should have just said, what? <laughs> that changes everything. <laughs> I should have said, what's a black person? <laughs> Does he know? Okay, I'm politically black. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> as long as he's politically white, we have no I'm, problem. <laughs> I used to be cis white, but now I'm trans black. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. Okay. Have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you for that frivolity, Carrie. The weird story. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Just a reminder this month, I think this is going to be a popular book club. So I'm giving everybody advance notice to get. Let, let Beverly know if you want to be in the video chat. Go to speak at unsafespace.com. We have a li limited number of spaces. Uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. And we're, we're going to be discussing on December 19th. Yes. And as a reminder, to support the show, you can go to unsafespace.com. You can donate, uh, buy merch, all that stuff. You can also watch live at unsafespace.com and on Utreon and on Odyssey, not just on YouTube. Um, and we are kind of back on Twitter. We have uh, Someone has a Twitter account. Uh, called underscore unsafe space and um, yeah don't forget to hit the subscribe button we, it does help us out and it pisses off Susan at YouTube so there's two good reasons to do it Beverly you can run the credits now let's see if she'll do it thanks for watching if you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. To be honest, I am running out of patience with the following individuals. Here's a fun fact. Experts agree that inflation is good for you.
As a reminder, self-defense can only be used as a last resort. You are legally required to first see if your death effectively deters your attacker. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.